Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and today I'm joined by Leonard. He's back. Hello. Folks. How back. are you doing, Leonard? Do you feel better? Uh, I'm yes, yes. As uh, 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 I had a throat thing last week, as as most people do this time of year, uh, and as uh, as 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 you can all hear. Uh, my my smooth velvety voice has returned to your eardrums. Yes, it's a, a perfect dulcet tones for those suffering a sleepless night, some kind of yes. insomniac. Yes, we will be returning to the Legati verse with Thomas Legati's subsectioned uh, dreams for insomniacs. A few tales we'll take a look at in Songs of a Dead Dreamer, as we have been doing for a little while now. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. There's a little more to go. A couple tales. Um, but this is uh, three tales within Dreams for Insomniacs. Uh, we have no other thing to kick off the podcast, so we will just directly go into them. Um, this episode, we will not be looking at... Um, conspiracy against the human race that we will save that for next time uh the, the the chapter is a little longer and will require more discussion than will fit uh in conjunction with these three tales so we'll, we'll move that to next episode yes what do we have what do we have up first leonard uh, we have the uh, a story entitled for 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 approv- approval of the Midnight Society. <laughs> we have uh, the Christmas Eves of Aunt Elise, a tale of possession in Old Gross Point. How timely, seeing as yes. we have just passed the Christmas, the most Christmases of Eves. Um, we could have used this earlier, but that's fine. Um, it's still, we, it's still, we, still we, near the season. The weather is we, disgusting we, outside. <laughs> we had our, we all had our own Aunt Elise's to 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 deal with. Uh, I, I, I suspect for the Christmas break. This is this is possible. Yes, <laughs> yes, Aunt Elise as the. As she is somehow become known as with a distinct, yes, the, distinct sound, the Z sound. Yes, it's a family yep. tradition. Yep, just turn those S's into Z's because who cares about language? We're just making her a little fancier, but she is, however, as the steadfast sort of uber matriarch um, in the family. The uh, the one with the old the old family home where everyone flocks to for the next Griswold Christmas. Yes, it's 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 the host house, the the big hosting mansion for for the family. Um, but uh, uh, we've only been 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 speaking in vagaries at this point. So <laughs> that's what we do. It is. It is actually essentially what we do for the most part. So, <laughs> but yes, this is a this is a tale of. Uh, well, it's not one Christmas Eve. It's many um, Christmas Eves. A lifetime 
of uh, yes. Christmas Eves um, spent in the company of uh, good old Aunt Elise and her uh, absent brother, I think, because it's, yeah. she's not married. This must be her her brother. Oh, no, she was married, what, what, but was she? Yes, she was. Yes, she was married. And I believe they said that her husband died. It, yeah, it could be. It was. I felt it was vague in the the. Um, well, it was deliberately vague in the identity of the uncle because even the the family didn't. He wasn't afforded his own first name. Right. He was simply yes. Uncle Elise. Right. Because he was the the vanished uh, benefactor. Um, there might in fact yes it, do, it does say her husband has died many years before leaving his wife with a prosperous real estate business and no children okay that is my mistake so that was her husband there's a lot going on in these there he puts a, a little bit of detail <laughs> into these stories so yeah for, forgive my um, misreading and skipping of one single important sentence Every, everyone has turned off the podcast already because of I just lo- we just lost everybody. I- everyone, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Come back. That was going to go into song, but we're just not doing that right now. Um, <laughs> yes. So where does that? Where does this put us? It puts us in. Um, Hmm. Fittingly enough, uh, her home is compared to an Elizabethan country manor. Uh, yes. While while modest and uh, miniature, um, it is a hidden away um, little little place on a, on an acreage um, off of a lake, which it does not, in fact, face, but it sort of profiles, which is a, a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 if, if, if you would like to think of a reference from something recent, just think of Knives Out, one of the best movies of 2019. Yeah, you know, that does, that does, that's a good, um, that's a good pull. That's the, (laughs) the imagery, um, that I think that this conveys of this, these family, these traditional family gatherings, um, that uh, they occur, and ostensibly it's a joyous occasion, um, but everyone is maybe on edge with one another, or people should these people should not have be gathered in one particular place for any long period of time, let alone shuttered away um, out of the weather uh, for the holidays. Yes. <laughs> But our 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 narrator here. So these these three stories will have something in common aside from the, the restless dreams and lack of sleep um, by our protagonists. Uh, these are not in the mm, pseudo voyeuristic diary entry style um, narration that we we been led to believe is the bread and butter of uh, Mister Legati. Uh, they are in a a more traditional prose setting yes. feeling. Uh, and in doing so, they're not broken up by, well, entries. And um, the, the narrative flows much more smoothly um, and is benefited, I think, 
by a chance to put in a little bit more detail within these. It doesn't sound vague. Uh, the other ones, were, they were like half allusions to things or mm, th this is no less poetic. Uh, we'll, we'll, I've highlighted, of course, a few phrases, some select entries that we will take a look at. But um, overall, this is a little bit easier to read and kind of yes. parse what's going on for the most part, as it turns out. Mm. But we do get so this is it is a remembrance. Um, our our main narrator Jack, uh, is giving us a um, a rousing rendition of Christmas's past and his his childhood into an indeterminate um adulthood age. Like it, I think it it names off his his late. Twentieth uh, years, but uh, after that, we were not—we're left to imagine um, how old, in fact, he is, because things change um, with abruptness. Yes, because he's not—he's also not a reliable narrator, which is great. Yes, these, yeah, yeah, yeah. These, uh, there, there, there's, there's, there's some, some, uh, some, some, uh, witchery perhaps going on with, with, with these magical, wonderful, uh, claustrophobic Christmases. What it reminds me of is we had, uh, two, two holidays ago. Uh, we had discussed the Krampus um, film, which yes. dealt with, or one of the Krampus, it might be the main one, I didn't watch it, so um, Matt was discussing the Krampus film, which involved uh, people trapped in a house in a snow globe, mm -hmm. I believe. That's not what this is, but that's what this feels like. It's like a self-contained yeah. wonderland that is not what it seems. And if you were to mash together Krampus and Knives Out, you would get the feeling of this. Yes, uh, this is going to be a really weird pull that most of you don't might not um, understand the reference for. But this feels like. Uh, two different episodes of Friday the 13th, the series, crammed together. <laughs> mm, yeah, that would work. <laughs> Which disappointingly had nothing to do with the um, the movie the movie franchise. Nope. I was always waiting for good old for, Mr. Voorhees to show up, but he did not. For, 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 for a, a cursed mask to wind up at the cursed antiques antique store. Yep. <laughs> this is this is more like the monkey's paw Christmas. Yes. It's it. It's a yeah. good. Um, okay. It's a good tales from the dark side. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's a. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, Jack is is really is is all about telling us about his his uh, seemingly extravagant Christmases uh, with his his aunt and other family members who are are honestly almost never named. I don't think anyone they're, else gets a name. No, they're, they're just, just like of, faces. If yeah, that. 
their their offhand mentions. Um, uh, I mean, aside from his his aunt and himself, no one. They're kind of like non-starters. They're not. They might as well not exist, other right. than to frame his um, his Christmas lethargy. Like he mm-hmm. enjoyed them as a child, thought something was a little weird, and then it just. As he grew older, his um, his his enjoyment of the season and the family reunions became separated from his like well being, right? And and part of that it he does talk about specifically was his idea of the 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 wintry magic and Christmas time in general was um was in the in nature in the the snow laden trees outside and the ice on the lake this kind of feeling of uh winter having arrived um and kind of blanketing everything he enjoyed that sort of um, that wintry scape and associated that with christmas but uh to his dismay uh, they were always confined to the house. His parents would you know, just usher him into the door, and his he was left to not be able to appreciate um, everything outside, aside from this uh, removal, that secondhand viewing um, through the window, uh, which is, I think is why I drew a little bit of a comparison to the snow globe um, entrapment, because he's shut off um, from the the scenes the, the feeling of winter it's it's stuck outside it's it's, conf- or it's left outside and he's confined to this house and the family that he's slowly like beginning to detest on some level right uh well the, the there is uh there he does mention let's see uh ah uh yes uh after the first christmas eve i can recall chronologically my fifth I knew what happened inside the house, and year after year, there was little change either in substance or surface details of the program. It's it was it seems that it it was the same Christmas over and over and over again for our dear Jack. Now, whether that is is just a metaphor for the feeling of 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 the b- banality of of a Christmas experience that is is so familiar uh, to to previous ones as to just bleed into one experience is uh, is an interesting question, or maybe it's just the same Christmas over and over again, year after year. And he, he goes on a little bit, um, to, to actually the next paragraph. Um, For the duration of these Christmas assemblies, my aunt always occupied the main room of her house. This room I never saw except as a fantasy of ornamentation, a hallucinatorium in a holiday dress. So it's it's putting this house that he only sees potentially on the holidays or once a year, um, yep. only in this decorative fake mode. Yes. So it... I think develops a specific um, taste in his mind that he eventually um, becomes to, if not dread, uh, form um, a melancholy about 
or yes. I can, or I, or he's just like disassociating himself from it when he's stuck there. Right. Uh, this this, this house is Christmas. It, it is it represents Christmas and uh, the the magic of Christmas has seemed to fade over time for him. There's um another entry that I, I pulled out. This one is uh I'll, I'll, I'll read a slightly outside of the selection to give it a little bit more context. In the corner of the main room, the one beside the front window, a plump evergreen was somewhere hidden beneath every imaginable type of dangling, roping, or blinking decoration, as well as being dolled up with silly bows in pastel shades, satiny, um, satiny bows lovingly tied by human hands. The same hands also did their work on the presence beneath the tree, and year after year, these seemed, like everything else in the room, to be in exactly the same place, as, a, as if the gifts of last Christmas had never been opened quickening in me the nightmarish sense of a ritual forever reenacted without hope of escape. Somehow, I am still possessed by the same feeling of entrapment. Um, that, I think, distills down his feelings to, like, a single point. Yep. And he he goes on to, like, talk about specifically what is what his his uh, forever present was, uh, which doesn't really um, make a difference. Yes. Uh, however, this this segment is him placing in for what is his present day um, Christmas. Uh, mm-hmm. Where he's, he's um, nobody seemed to mind that I sat on the other side of the room from where most of them congregated to talk or sing carols to the music of an ancient organ, which Aunt Elise played with her back to the audience and to me. Uh, his aunt remarks that um, as not as usual, um, our, our uh, narrator has left himself out of the festivities, um, not joining in, in the, in the caroling um, as it were, and uh sort of making that remark and he's he's of indeterminate age at this point but he's earned the appellation old jack yes and uh this is it does in fact it got it does give us an age so this is when he's he's still, still a child 20 or 21 years of age and he's already become old Jack. He's he's jaded. Um, Christmas is not for him, at least not this type of Christmas. Right. Not not to not to not to pay our own ages, Dave. But when <laughs> to, when you say a twenty-one-year-old, oh, still a child. <laughs> these kids, kids these days. Youth. Sorry, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. I forgot. I forgot that we we regularly engage with a babby. An Aussie babby. He's shining in his youth. It's fine. Keeps us young at heart. Re- re- uh, resplendent in his youth. Exactly. Hashtag protect Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why we we save these episodes, uh, make them Cameronless. Um, 
But yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he's just he's twenty. He's, he's 20, twenty, and he's 21. just not having this. And he's yep. he's he's had a bit too much of the nog, and uh, uh, and he wants to belt out. Who cares if you didn't hear old Jack singing, you old bat? But he keeps it to himself, at least yes. outwardly. Yes. And 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 you know he 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 takes he takes uh, uh he takes stock of Aunt Elise and and starts to notice that all the things that uh, he probably found charming uh, in his youth were in fact just uh, old age, uh, tight hair, haired head, like combed wires, calm eyes of someone in an old portrait someone long gone, high cheekbones, highly colored, less rosily than like a rash, and the prominent chompers of a horse charging out of nowhere in a dream. That's a, that's an image. <laughs> yep. That, that, uh, yes, we, yes. we like to call that an unflattering image. This is, this is the case. And he's, he's made a solemn vow to, to make this the last Christmas Eve that yes. he would uh, attend these soirees, that the right. gatherings are no longer for him in his old, decrepit age of 20 or 21. Yes. Yep. And the the, the children, there's children around um, of the rest of the family. They're not his children. And they, um, they're asking for a, a wondrous, spooky Christmas story. And yes, one that actually happens. Because <laughs> apparently it was a it was a tradition once upon a time to ke- tell ghost stories on Christmas, and I wish I was joking, but that is incredibly true and incredibly good. Let's bring yep. it back. I think everyone's we're trying to bring it back. We're just gonna do it. We're bringing yeah, it back. yeah, yeah. That well, eventually Halloween just uh subsume all all of the rest of the year and holidays um uh all of the the nightmare before christmas uh, as it should be so. <laughs> um yes so uh <laughs> so uh uh aunt elise decides to tell them a a super real uh true life uh 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 uh, uh story um involving a, a house <laughs> cuz I'll I'll try to summarize this one summarize summarize with summarize is the wrong word uh I'll try to give a brief summary of this tale uh, because yes. it's it's not short but it's a little too long to read the entire entirety of it um it involves a house not unlike the one they are at uh it's one in fact that is um adjacent and formerly uh, alongside the lake it's now since disappeared or it's been mm-hmm. torn down as a matter of fact the um the previous owner uh lived all, all all on his lonesome sounds familiar and uh in this in this multi-storied house that uh was eventually um attractive to a um uh, I think he's an historian an antiquarian it's an antiquarian even cooler than a historian so um <laughs> It's a it's a it's a younger fellow who um just kept wanting to like look at the history of the house, go into the house and you know, take a, a gander at the, and marvel at its um antiquated state. 
the the owner of the house never never permitted this always kind of shooed him away um and uh upon his his passing uh deemed to allow like one visitation uh before the house was summarily um uh, it's not raised destroyed taken down yes dismantled dismantled piece by piece brick by brick timber by rotting timber no it's antiquated timber by beautiful timber and uh in in this this last moments the um the the young gentleman is allowed to look around the house uh his host is you know very congenial as was not the case like the presumably dozens of other times this guy's popped by to you know want to take a peek at the house and uh, eventually the host um uh takes his leave uh, seemingly and uh the, the the guest is left to kind of wander around um in a finding kind of a more disquiet um than his his previous um, excitement um had had lent him uh to the point where he goes to leave like he's not comfortable there anymore the, the old man has disappeared and he wants to just not be there uh that's that's the tale basically that that she weaves and um the uh, aunt uh, elise um is because she got to you know, i will quote these bits um because the, the kids are kind of asking why would that why would he destroy like this marvelous house like you know he, he's even if, even after his death why did he like not let it someone else live in it um and here is she says, uh, I think the old man just couldn't stand the thought of anyone else living in the house and being happy there, because surely he wasn't. But maybe, just maybe, he had his house torn down for another reason. Maybe, by destroying his house, making it disappear, the old man thought he was taking it with him into the other world. People have lived, people who have lived alone for a very long time often think and do very strange things, she emphasized, though I'm sure no one except me thought to apply this final statement to the storyteller herself. And that's interesting. So it's it's hearkening of course to thinking of um like ancient Egypt, the pharaohs mm-hmm. and people yes. taking everything with them because if they didn't have it on hand it wasn't going to be in the next world. Right. And so he obviously loved his um, beautiful old house and was just loath to part with it. Yes. Um, oh, there is there is a, 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 the the final aspect of the tale, which is when the antiquarian uh, goes out, uh, goes to leave uh, without uh, uh, locating his host. Uh, he discovers uh, that um, uh, Silent Hill is outside of the house now. Yes, and uh, the, uh, the lost uh, children. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, an endless fog with with uh, uh, tattered, uh, indistinct shapes uh, flittering about in the fog. Which is is uh, uh, disquieting and and dare I say a horrifying prospect to to look out upon in a fully uh, decorated Christmassy house. I think. 
And one that's not your own. Um, yes. Possibly even worse. Yeah, I, I left that part off because it um, leans into kind of how the story wraps itself up. Um. Well, the next section. So, well, here, here, in fact, is that that I did, I did uh, highlight that bit. Um. But he didn't get as far as the door when he stopped dead in his tracks because of what he saw through the front window. There seemed to be no street anymore, no street lamps or sidewalks, not even any houses, besides the one he was in, of course. There was only the fog and some horrible, tattered shapes wandering aimlessly within it. The young man could hear them crying. What was this place, and where had the old house taken him? He didn't know what to do, except stare out the window. And when he saw the face reflected in the window, he thought for a second that the old man had returned and was standing behind him again, smiling his quiet smile. But then, the young man realized that this was now his own face, and, like those terrible, ragged creatures lost in the fog, he, too, began to cry. It's a good Christmas story. Yep. And, of course, yep. we get our our our, <laughs> our narrator um, not happy with this story, not happy with the situation. Um, I... I didn't highlight this part, but it's it's just as um, important, if not more so. Uh, I felt tired, more tired than I'd ever been in my life. I barely had the will or the strength to push myself out of the chair into which I'd sunk so deep. How slowly I trudged past faces that seemed far off in the distance. Where was I going? Was I in want of another drink? Did I desire another dainty from the table spread with Christmas treats? What was it that was calling me away from that room? And this transitions wonderfully into no time seemed to have passed. But when I came to myself, I was walking down a foggy street. Here he... This is a... This changes the tone of the tale. So up in, up until this point, um, we have an idea of the setting, kind of what's going on. And there's just been sort of hints on the narration becoming unreliable. Uh, mm -hmm. And this idea of the, the Christmases past and present and presumably future all being one and the same, um, rolling into one another and immemorable um, as far as any specific details are concerned or things that should be changed but are not. They're just repeating themselves. Right. And now things have taken a turn for the better. He's, he's out of that house. It'll be great. Yep. Because Lagatti is a happy man. And this is a happy story for everyone. Or for one person, really. Yep. One of us will be happy at the end of this. <laughs> so what happens here, Leonard? Uh well, he he wanders around uh uh he wanders around uh uh, f uh foggy uh gross point uh and and uh, uh finally uh sees the glow of christmas lights uh beaming against the fog um and yet he finds them them completely and utterly 
horrible. Um, it's 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 he he just does he i mean it's it's so really, I, I got i caught up i got caught up in another song in my head because of these lines <laughs> uh uh he he sees he sees aunt elise and then remembers that aunt elise was in fact long dead and her house dun 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 at at her instruction had been dismantled brick by brick um so it feels like it feels like he's he's now trapped in the world of the dead yes and i have to read the preceding lines because they're just tickling me <laughs> these were not the colors that i had loved this could not be the house this is not my beautiful wife it just it it just struck me at that at that moment um and we get the the other the other reveal uncle jack wake up urged young voices at close range though technically being an only child i was not their uncle more accurately i was just an elder member of the family who had nodded off in his chair it was christmas eve and i had a little too much to drink so he is not the babby of twenty twenty one. Yes, slightly older and more morose. He is the Uncle Jack. Old, yes, yes. He is. He is old. Good old Uncle Jack. He's put the check in the mail. But uh, yeah, he he he's. Leaves out. I'm slipping quietly out the back door because he's yep. just—he's done with it, whether young or old. He's just not having it anymore. And uh, he's still just wandering about in the the Christmas evening. Uh, and then he he finds a another door mm-hmm. that should not have existed. Yes. A door that shouldn't exist uh, attached to a house that most certainly shouldn't exist. Except in the mind's eye. We get a, uh, well, it's a very legati Christmas and a very legati ending because he just loves to give us a gut punch um, denouement at the end of these tales. I'll just, I'll just go read it. So this is, of course, Aunt Elise. Who is yes. quite alive and quite welcoming. Merry Christmas, old Jack, she says. And then from her point of view, Oh, how good it was to see the old boy when he had come to me at last. He had grown old, but never grew up. And finally, I had him. Him in his every thought. All the pretty pictures of his mind. Those weeping demons, souls forever lost, came out of the fog and took away his body. He was one of them now. But I have kept the best part. All his beautiful memories, all those lovely times we had. The children, the presents, the colors of those nights. Anywho, they are mine now. Tell us of those years, old Jack. The years I have now taken from you. The years I can play with as I wish, like a child with his toys. Oh. How nice. 
How nice and lovely to be settled in a world where it's always dead, with darkness and always alive with lights, and where it will always, forever be, Christmas Eve. And we did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Oh, as 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 always, and as we've mentioned, um, and as we will continue to mention, Legati's tales uh, are not about the end of the journey. Yes, they they're are, about yes. the journey itself and the meaninglessness of it. <laughs> Because yeah. it doesn't really ultimately matter. Um, the the fate that you have is never a kind one. Yes, and it, yeah, it's uh, it's always it, it it's 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 bad in the books here. <laughs> the the store the 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 the, <laughs> the anthology. Yes. But they are all unto themselves um, intricate little entries that uh, they, the, the twists and turns are the, the remarkable bit. Yes. Because they're generally unexpected. You're just like, that. Uh, I see how you got there, but what a trip is right. <laughs> what these boil down to. And uh, that, that carries us into the next tale, The Lost Art of Twilight. Yes. And that it <laughs> thematically that pulls other comparisons um eventually just by virtue of what this is titled. However, yeah, yeah. Um, this is the I would love to see this having been adapted into a short like mm -hmm. movie. Like this would be good. Very good. Yes. Um, Dave, what is what is the lost art of Twilight about? It is about a young man caught between two worlds and yep. his love for that um, that liminal state of uh, sort of transience doesn't want anything to change uh life and death um hold no truck with him because he is at the crossroads of both and on the path of neither uh he's had a, a fateful birth a generally boring life but he wants it to be that way and it does not turn out to be that way for him um, in the end, I pulled a quote from the, the beginning of this. Uh, so he's a he's a he's a bit of a painter himself. My twilight abstractions did in fact represent some reality, a zone composed of pal palaces of soft and sullen colors, standing behind seas of scintillating pattern, and beneath sadly radiant patches of sky, a zone where the observer is a formal presence an impalpable essence, free of carnal substance, a denizen of the abstract. But that is just a memory to me now. What I thought would last forever was lost in the blink of an eye. He, uh, like, like our last narrative, this is a sort of solitary um, setting 
It's in a sort of yes. old um, ancestral, well, new world ancestral home. Mm. Um, yes, he comes from a, a family of some means, um, and his aunt T, who is uh, that's the letter T, so we don't we don't <laughs> give her first name, but uh, she is uh, in charge of his, him. He's he's a young younger lad uh, as well, possibly of twenty or twenty one. We don't know. Um, yeah, but he's younger, and he has been in seclusion um, for most of his life due to his curious um, nature and curious disposition, um, the malaise, the physical malady that his birth um, has delivered upon him, um, and he he prefers it that way. He, he's he's anathema to crowds of people or other people in general that are not his family and even the ones that are nearby he does not like the the butler um being one of them who is rendered in like glorious uh strange detail which i'll eventually get to because i don't know where that passage went so his his days are comprised of um kind of sleeping away the day he's active more at night um he enjoys painting but his paintings are abhorrent to anyone who views them because he does things strange things that you shouldn't do with the colors um <laughs> and it's 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 rightfully like not really explained i don't think you could it's easier to leave it kind of alone and, yes and to the imagination um however suffice to say that uh uh an art um appreciator or an educator upon viewing said paintings became violently ill while still trying to praise what was going on um but they they conjure up um upset stomach <laughs> yes <laughs> the, the 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 swirls and and um eddies and the things you should not do with colors um combining them in certain ways so it's very yes. evocative very disturbing yes and i will say i will say this um this uh this particular story more than anything that we've covered um so far in 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 uh tales of the dead dreamer uh grim scribe uh is is feels like a a a um i don't want to say mishmash a a lovingly constructed like love letter to lovecraft um it's more the the prose is more poetic here yes is, and just is it, part of it and 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 thematic things like hmm. like the being a painter, the weird things that he does with colors, the the ennui, the weird uh, of the odd birth. It feels like like taking threads from from other Lovecraft stories and knotting them together into something of your own that still is very evocative of 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 of. Mr. HP. Yeah, and there and there's um, a through line of um, social status and certain derisions um, up and down um, the the hierarchical ladder um, that that yes. entails. 
Um, he, he, this um, narrator, is not enamored of that hoity-toity side of the family, um, probably because they are mostly not enamored with him, is his feeling. Yes. And there was a lot of issues with his parents, so <laughs> that uh, that is part and parcel kind of what is going on. Um, those issues, we'll cut to the chase, are his father uh, passed away before his birth. Yes. And so did his mother. <laughs> so he's he's ostensibly born from two dead parents. Yep. Which has has colored his own worldview and his world and his malaise and his physical malady. Him um in 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 toto is uh a result of this um strange parentage yes he uh he 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 is the the uh um uh other side of the guts coin he uh he did not uh, uh get the the dragon slayer sword he did not he got a paintbrush <laughs> And it was, it's very, it is quite similar. Um, so there's a, I pulled a small uh, quote. Um, this is his, uh, his um, aunt talking to him. Um, and he's kind of arguing back and forth with her because she's informing him that um, some distant relatives are coming to visit. Um, they're, they are from the, Exxon province um, side of the family that is in residing in France and he's in, he's in America. So his, his, his upbringing is predominantly um, pri privatized education, um, private personal tutors, um, some money tossed in the mix to uh, purchase <laughs> certifications and the like, um, because he's not uh, fit or able to withstand the general populace. Right. Um, but family is um, on the way to appraise him. <laughs> yeah, is yeah. is what it is. Um, but here's here's the bit of a quote. Um, True or not, I argued. They believed the unbelievable. They acted on it. And what I call superstition. What reason could they possibly? So he's arguing with his aunt over the fate of his mother. And uh, here's his aunt. Um, what reason? I have to say that at the time, at the time, you were in position in no position to judge reasons, considering we knew you only as a slight swelling inside your mother's body. I, on the other hand, was actually there. I saw the new friends your mother had made, that aristocracy of blood, as she called them, which I understood to signify her envy of their hereditary social status. But I don't judge her. I never have. After all, she had just lost her husband. Your father was a good man, and it's a shame you never knew him. And then to be carrying his child, the child of a dead man. She was frightened, confused, and she ran back to her family and her homeland. Who can blame her if she started acting irresponsibly? But it's a shame what happened, especially for your sake. So, events happen with his mother that yep. um, they're alluded to for the first half of the story. We don't get a full picture of that. And it's effective. Uh, you can feel that her or his mother is sort of like self ostracized from that side of the family. Yes, not not exactly like a black sheep, but it's 
similar to it because of the company she started keeping, which we find out is um, odd, to say the least. And there are some manner of dark rituals involved. Um, she's spending inordinate amount of times uh, in a mausoleum. <laughs> yep. So that's a little strange. Um, and ultimately, his... Um, dissatisfaction with that side of the family is that he blames them for his mother's death yes because there's a, a priest who had some hand in um his mother passing and his um his post-mortem birth as a result yeah it's uh it's he's this is our, our 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 buddy here he's 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 not in a he's not in a good place not in a good way not he, a, no he's not he's not not mentally or physically in a in a good state yeah um and and to be and to be fair uh given everything we discover about his history it's uh understandable yes and this is Andre. Um, it's his name because I just ran across it. Um, <laughs> and the the side of the family that's coming to visit him uh, is the the Duvals. So they are uh, a more removed um, side of the family that yes. even I think the aunt is um, less familiar with. Aside from just. Yes knowing that they hold um, a larger sway in uh, the goings-on of the, the old country family. Yes. All, all the Duvalls will, will be there. Robert, Shelley, those are the only two Duvalls <laughs> that I can think of. <laughs> Which, I, it's kind of fitting. I mean, their imagery that it, that it does um, give us, you could, you could place them in those roles. Um, <laughs> yep. Here's another... Small quote um, from part two of the story. It's divided into little pieces. Uh, I am an offspring of the dead. I am descended from the deceased. I am the progeny of phantoms. My ancestors are the illustrious multitudes of the defunct, grand, and innumerable. My lineage is longer than time. My name is written in embalming fluid in the book of death. A noble race is mine. So this is the feelings directly of our, our uh, Andre protagonist. And, and then he takes out his, his iPhone and plays I'm not okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the um the setting of this, however, is uh, it reads as almost like a a, a gothic tale. Uh, yes. But it is it is well for this time it is modern day. There's yes. There's mention of EEG monitors and and the like. So it's late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, probably. it's contem it's contemporary to the early eighties. Yes. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Great. I feel real good. I, I'm I'm starting to develop bit of ennui actually now it happens leonard <laughs> look what we're look what we're dealing with here <laughs> yeah that's true that's, oh. that's... it's fine it's fine <laughs> we get a um a sort of scene with um 
a history of his of his father and mother's um passing their a bit of their mm. lives and how they met um it's it's all very romantic and told of course their their ultimate um uh demise loss demise however <laughs> you want to say it um i do like there's a there's a bit here um because it it, it talks about his um father's passing uh and then he's he's just lamenting offspring of the dead but surely one might protest i was born of a living mother surely upon arrival in this world i turned and gazed into a pair of glossy maternal eyes not so as i think it is evident from my earlier conversation with dear aunt t uh, widowed and pregnant my mother fled back to um x to the comfort of her family estate and secluded living but more on this in a moment um so he's just basically saying or conveying to us that um yes things were not um anywhere near as uh cut and dry um as it sort of sounded um and there are a few items uh of uh, of note that he mentions um in in uh regard to uh the Exun province um which he was never he was born there but never lived but uh, he he has loathing um for that place uh due in part to one his um mother's sort of semi-persecution and her ultimate fate um but also uh the the general history of the area so yes I quoted this bit here the first item first item of uh of, of disregard of anger i don't know of not liking the place uh words escape me sometimes mm. the first item of historical record is the following in the 17th century there occurred the spiritual possession by divers demons of divers demons of the nuns belonging to the ursuline combat at exum provence excommunication was soon in coming for the blighted sisters who had been seduced into assorted blasphemies by the likes of Gracil, sonion and verin the plancy's dictionary infernal uh, respectively characterizes these demons in the words of an unknown translator as the ones who, the one who glistens horribly like a rainbow of insects the one who quivers in a horrible manner and the one who moves in a particular creeping motion it's <laughs> wonderful Yep. Everyone wants friends like these. Yep. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> the first, the, uh, the, the, the one is, is, is Prince of Darkness. The, the second one is Jacob's Ladder. And the third one is The Ring. That is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good pulls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh yes and andre is just like no i don't like these people i i listen they're, they're i don't too wanna, spooky I don't, for me <laughs> yeah the 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 this place is bad uh what happened to my parents are bad my life is real bad i don't want to deal with these people I want to be upset. I want to be sad. And yeah. T. 
Which is understandable. It, it is. And uh, I, I had another quote, but I'm just going to skip it to the, the following line because this is great. Uh, Such was the land to which my mother um, remigrated some decades ago, this Notre Dame world of horror and beauty. It is no wonder she was seduced into the society of those beautiful strangers who promised her liberation from a world of morality, mortality where anguish had taken over, making her ripe for self-exile. And then he, he goes on to mention um, that it was a, a, at a high-class party that um, his mother met the two particular um, strangers who uh, enticed her into sketchy uh, behaviors yes. and were possessing of labyrinthine eyes whispering to his mother. It's very effective. Yeah. Yep. Um, yes. <laughs> Listen, listener, you, you, you probably, you might, if you're familiar with horror of any type, which, which we certainly hope that you are. And if you aren't, we're glad that you're listening. You probably have some idea where this is going. It, it is a bloody affair that is rather <laughs> soon began. In yes. Nighttime. Yes, and the mausoleums she was visiting were for one particular occasion to take a daytime nap. <laughs> she carmilled herself. Yep. <laughs> yes. You've been, Dear you've old been mom gone. was a vampire. Yeah. A vampire. Yes, and the the intervention by the family and the said priest was, was, <laughs> was in uh, um, form and intent to uh, remove the cursed form of his mother from existence, and yes. with a with a um, pointy object to the heart, ultimately. Yep. So he was born. So, he was vampire born. Yes. It's like being um, battleborn, but in a crypt. I, I I forget. Is it ever? Is there ever any confirmation whether or not his 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 father was also a vampire, or if he is in fact a vampire? Um, I don't believe so. I think he was human because there's a specific. It goes into specifics that um, Andre is a half human, half vampire. There we go. So yes, we've got a Dampier, but instead of Vampire Hunter D, we kind of got he... Mister Glass from. <laughs> I was going to say Robert Smith, but um, <laughs> <laughs> also hunting and... vampires or forming an awesome band—you only get to do one of those two things. Except yes. for this guy's really shy, so yeah, he's not. Yeah, there's no band being formed. <laughs> Much to our lament, he could have crafted sweet tunes, sweet lullabies. Yes, but instead, he he just he just uh he just just paints abstracts, and the abstracts of twilight. Yes. <laughs> uh, and hence hence that little that little signpost we did the beginning of this discussion considering yes. <laughs> the name uh, 
which I I I think is really really funny, and and it also makes me sad <laughs> that that it will forever and and retroactively somehow be associated in all media. Yes, considering this came first and was the yes. interesting version of the two. Um, <laughs> and to to point uh, one other quote, best of all though would be the depiction of my life story as an abstract painting, a twilight world indistinct around the edges and without center or focus, a bridge without banks, tunnel without openings, a crepuscular existence pure and simple, no heaven or hell, only a quiet withdrawal from life's hysteria and death's tenacious darkness. This is another legatiism, a distillation of theme. Yep. Um, and would have been a wonderful juxtaposition to <laughs> the uh, uh, conspiracies against the human race, but we'll see that on another occasion. Because we didn't get around to it. That's what happened. Yep. <laughs> no, it's because the story is super, super long. It's literally broken up into four parts, Dave. That's why we. That's why we're not getting around to to the conspiracy <laughs> against the human race. Yes, <laughs> that is also one that uh, the more succinct reason is. It's just not going to fit. <laughs> it's not going to fit, and we're not going to do three hours of this um, because it's too much. Um, even we have our uh limits i i dave i have no limits on well good that makes i just i just i just have i just have time <laughs> but i can i can sponge up misery all day <laughs> <laughs> sponging up the misery all right <laughs> Excellent t title for the episode. <laughs> yes, um, so our the next part's a quote, actually. I don't want to do that just yet. Um, oh, this is the fun bit with the uh, um, the educator Raymond, who, who taught yes. him the rudimentary skills of uh, oil painting. Uh... This wasn't, again, the quote I pulled, but we'll just do it anyway. So this is Raymond um, commenting to Andre. The shapes. The colors are not supposed to lose themselves that way. Something. No. Impossible. And then he has to be re remitted to use the bathroom facilities. At first, I thought this gesture was meant as a symbolic appraisal of my work, but he was quite in earnest, so all I could do was provide directions to the nearest chamber of convenience. He walked out of the room and never came back. <laughs> there could be no further endorsement of this young man's art as this the ad hoc yeah. twilight <laughs> wondrous yes yes in in instead of instead of painting ghouls using real live models he paints uh unpleasant abstractions of twilight that makes people vomit and leave the room it is he is some kind of nauseous wizard yes almost as almost as if he is is imparting the essence of his very being onto the canvas 
uh, displaying uh, uh, his his true uh, abhorrent nature, uh, not due to uh, his personality, but by virtue of his very being on the canvas, and no one can stomach it. It's wonderful. <laughs> what a charming lad. Uh, this is where we get the um, the sudden arrival of the Duvals. Um, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I had to think about that for just a moment. Um, and he he's very hesitant of this because, for one, they announced their their particular purpose of this journey is to uh, literally judge him. Yep, one way or the other, and he uh, he is loathe to undergo that he doesn't care for um general companionship and this is even worse because it's the high the high class family that he does not want to associate with the ones he feels uh unjustly murdered his mother hunted her down um so he's not looking forward to this um particular visit uh only to kind of state that um he at the same time he doesn't want to be found lacking. Right. He has a small desire within him to uh, to be accepted uh, in some yes. form. At, at least accepted and then left alone. Because that, yes. that's ultimately what this is. Is They're, they're visiting to determine whether or not he um, belongs in the family in the first place. Yes. So he's, he's at, it turns um, disgusted and... Um, slightly elated um, at this because it will mean one way or the other that people will just leave him alone again. Right. It'll hopefully hopefully be an end to his involvement with that side of his family uh, permanently. Yes, because he just wants to reside in, in Twilight and just kind of that state of non-being. Um, it, 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 it pleases him to yes. just exist. Um, and not have to deal with things one way or the other. Yes. Understand. And by things, we mean people. Yes. Generally, it's to deal with people. <laughs> so we get the... Um... Well, here's a... He, he's waiting for them to arrive. He wasn't able to go to the airport to pick them up because he's afraid of crowds. Um, his aunt understands yes. that and um, just went along with the butler to go pick them up. And under the proviso that he uh, remain awake because they're, they're visiting in the daytime and he normally is resting during the day. Yes. Um, so he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll stay up and present myself. And then he's kind of thinking to himself, well, I'm also presenting myself sort of as a um, a reclusive scholar kind of figure like i i'm well educated but given to um like my melancholy yes uh so uh it, it should be perfectly fine that i'm kind of like sequestered to my room uh but i will i will endeavor to keep normal hours i will try to stay awake in the day and then i will go to sleep at night um just because i'm tired um like in general he's just right a, a languid boy yeah but uh <laughs> He he's waiting for them to arrive, um, and then he do, he does eventually fall asleep to the the wonderful um, 
static on the TV with with the sound turned down. Yeah, sleeping it's a, in a white noise. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good way to it's a good way to do that. Um, he wakes up again uh, the next morning, and it's or, or rather rather early because he had heard um, his aunt come home, and then he hears strange kind of staticky horrible voices over the intercom because of course there's a there's an intercom that runs through the house for him to be able to um, interact with the um, the servants right and he that, that gives him restless dreams he has trouble sleeping but when he wakes up in the morning he's like well i'll go down for breakfast or whatever and, and finally meet everybody because i slept all night um he doesn't find anybody uh he he hears um, the, the the Duvals um, in their repose, but they're the normal sort of snores and sounds of sleep that he's expecting to hear aren't, aren't kind of what he's getting. And it, it's a little bit disquieting, so he just takes his leave um, for the morning and, and decides to walk around about, about, the, about, the, about the property. There's a bit of a quote here. The gray lake slowly tossed and tumbled in a dead sleep, nudging unconsciously against its break wall of numb stone. A vista of contradiction and ambivalence. A tragic cosmic haze over all a land of perfect twilight. <laughs> so he's he's out all day long until night has fallen again. Yes. And he, he enjoys and his, his sojourn, his lonely um, trek across the, uh, the, the, the landscape. Yes. Uh, I I don't want to sleep in this house with these people, with their with their awful bat voices, which I am clearly not concerned about. Even though I've acknowledged that it sounds really really wrong. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna meander around around the property for a little bit. Um, the, the, the description of, 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 of the servant silently doing their duties, uh, uh, it, it seemingly invisible, uh, reminds me of one of the later chapters of Eternal Darkness, where you fight off a, well, where you fight off a horrible eldritch vampire that goes around killing your servant. Yeah, and that's ostensibly what's kind of going on here um to to <laughs> just get out to it um he's calling for everybody he gets home he's like well it's time for dinner um but i don't see any servants i can't find my aunt i don't see the the, the family that's coming to visit um he's like they shouldn't be asleep because that's my thing and it's definitely not daytime anymore it's not quite nighttime it's still too, a little too early um but he he happens upon the dining room and uh, <laughs> opens the doors to find that there, in fact, was a supper um, having just gone on. Uh, we should, we're not going to roll all back far, but um, he, one of his maladies is that he cannot eat, like, people food. He mm -hmm. eats raw meat. Uh, yeah. Bloody something. Um, he doesn't know specifically what he's eating, only to, only to admit that um, it's probably something expensive. Like his aunt doesn't <laughs> spare money in getting him the finest of the finest cuts of uh, yes tasty meat. 
Yep. So that's left to our imagination of what he's actually consuming. Um, but his aunt, however, it doesn't seem monstrous, so it's probably just something expensive. <laughs> probably. But uh, he he admits that um, uh, he has never... Uh, he's only eaten stuff that's been, like, already dead and prepared. Like, proper, right. properly prepared meals. Uh, and he's never gone to the point where he was so famished that he would um sup from something like alive let alone yes. a person that is what has happened here he finds his aunt or what's left of her and nearly unrecognizable um having been uh dined upon yep yes and more to the interesting point um the I guess this description that it that it gives us of uh his his visitors. Um I'll just read it because it's very <laughs> well written, um, as is all this. Uh he's he, he's calling for his um his servants, um anybody, somebody. Uh he 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 knows that they're not gonna be there though. Yep. He's 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 acknowledged that much that it's probably not likely. And uh, this here we go. Uh, this soon became apparent to my twilight brain as it dipped its way into total darkness. I was in the company of five black shapes which stuck to the walls and soon began flowing along their surface. One of them detached itself and moved toward me, a weightless mass which felt icy when I tried to sweep it away and put my hand right through the thing. Another followed unhinging itself from a doorway where it hung down. A third left a blanched scar upon the wallpaper where it clung like a slug, pushing itself off to join the attack. Then came the others, descending from the ceiling, dropping onto me as I stumbled in circles and flailed my arms. I ran from the room, but the things had me closely surrounded. They guided my flight, heading me down hallways and up staircases. Finally, they cornered me in a small room, a stuffy little place I had not been, for, been in for years. Colored animals frolicked upon the walls, blue bears and yellow rabbits. Miniature furniture was covered with graying sheets. I hid beneath a tiny elevated, elevated crib with ivory bars, but they found me and closed in. The, the imagery of these creatures is um, yes. super evocative. Like This is, I think, my favorite vampire description. That I've read in a long time. Yeah, they're uh, they're both ethereal and horrible, and, uh, and yeah, they're um, uh, horror. That's that's what they are. They 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 actually feel like manifestations of, <laughs> of, of horror. Yes, it's the anathema to the um, sexy vampire trope because these yes. are not. And this is. Um, it's hewing even more closely to the bone than um, the the vampires in um, the name escapes me. This happens sometimes. The Game. story where they're in Alaska. Ah, oh yes, uh, uh, thirty days a night. Yes. So those are in the same category, but. 
these yes. are even more removed from humanity than than those bestial vampires were. Yes, they uh they uh yes. Yeah, yeah. Um these yeah. I'm I'm actually surprised that they were able to, you know, perhaps they have they have some sort of glamour ability, but considering their description, the fact that anybody picked them up from an airport and said, "Oh, these people look fine." Um seems a little odd to me. Yeah, they're they're more like wraith-like corpses. Yeah. That that don't they he finds out that they speak not in English or in French, but some other it's not even a human language. It's yes, wheezes so. and gasps and throat gurgles yet all becoming um eventually intelligible. Yes. They are they are <laughs> which I lo- I love I love that <laughs> they're like well they're French and <laughs> nobody <laughs> I because I guess the correspondences were all written but yeah. I really like the idea that somebody could hear these sounds and say yeah that's French that's what I expect yeah well it's Americans they're just gonna do it yeah that way. it's very it's, it's very um coneheads. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> the the, the <laughs> most horrifying of vampire <laughs> coneheads. Well, they do have those pointy teeth. Yep, and, and many they, rows and they of eat, them. eat um, in mass quantities. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah, don't they? D- so, <sighs> so another another point that he makes is that um, the the Duvals, when they were informing the aunt that they were going to be arriving, uh, had said that there was no prejudice in their judging um, or their their soon to be judging of um, Andre. Yes, and it's at this moment that he realizes, well, there's no prejudice because they're actually. Uh, hewing way more on the monstrous side than I even am. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I guess I guess I guess I'm cool because you're even bigger, more awful monsters than I am because I'm just kind of like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> He's only a half breed and these are yes. the purebreds of the X family. Um, I and also they do their work. Yeah, they dr- dr- drain him. I I feel mm. <laughs> like uh, uh, like do they? I I I always I really have a problem with like parsing whether this is a metaphor or if this is a a a, a an actual removal of fluids. Um, he, because, I felt that he was ensanguinated. He had no more bloods. So, okay, so I guess he's just. Uh... Oh well, I mean, he does talk about as a, a strange dryness when he when he awakes. So I guess ensanguination and you know obvious vampire uh, uh, thirst probably 
kicked in. It's yes. It's uh, well, he's he's. He says it's a great void which needed to be filled, flooded with yeah. oceans of blood. <laughs> I shunned in my I, ambition to circumvent a birth and death existence. I had become. This is the worst part, actually. Um, I had become just another beast with a hundred stirring hungers, sallow and voracious. I had joined the society of the living dead, a contemptible participant in a world in the worst of two worlds, Andre of the graveyards, a sociable corpse. He he liked his like floating nothingness life. Yes, and now that was forcibly taken from him and. Again, this idea of these fates being like worse than death uh, is is a thing. Mm-hmm. But go ahead, you were saying. Oh, I yeah, it, and yes, now he's now he's forced to it engage with people, which is is the thing that he wanted to do least in in the world and in his life and now that is his existence forever so yeah. good times and it's <laughs> um so it it goes on for a few pages of the the vampire family just like arguing with one another um, over over <laughs> yeah. the over the situation using their 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 Cursed language is actually more efficient at um, foulness than human languages would allow for. The concepts, right. I guess, that they voice and give utterance to are terrifying and terrible things that they just say to one another. Um, and suddenly, Andre is made um, able to understand these these terrible things, and he tells them uh, up front that uh, he he wants no truck in this he wants no part of it he wants them gone he just wants to live in peace in his house um but he's now um become fluent in this other language it's i think his now native tongue and those words don't exist for him anymore so the Mm. thing he says ends up being like an agreement uh and a he's put in a like a lower position of course yes so he's now forced to be host to these uh, this this royalty, this family, um, and uh, host and guide to them in this new this new world. Yes, um, because he's so very hungry, and they are the ones to provide, even though right. they're the ones that also cursed him with this new terrifying existence. Yes, he, he yes, he gets relegated to basically a thrall, even though he is a dampier. He is really put at the at the at the bottom of the hierarchy and and there is no there is no escape from him from it at this point from him. No. And his his uh, precious twilight um, that he enjoyed so much and found solace in is now the thing that um, makes him quest out and sate his uh, terrible hunger. So it's it's become like a, a horror to him, even though he drew so much solace from it before. So that's the other the other terrifying thing for him 
you know, in, in not only losing the last of himself, but, um, losing the things that he found, um, comfort in. Mm-hmm. Like, like utterly. It's, um, it's no less a horror than the, uh, man trapped in house forever, uh, having his soul supped on by spooky ant. Um, yeah. And his body devoured by demonic fog ghosts. Yes. It, 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 even worse, it's not even, not even soul, it's just memories. Yeah. Poor Andre. He just did not... Uh, and, and, you know, he's still aware of it. He's able to uh, craft this, you know, this this memoir, um, as it were. So it's it's a it's a forceful acknowledgement of what he's lost, and yeah. will continue to lose. And his la- his lamentations um, of his slipping into a like feral existence of just endless hunger. Yeah. Good story. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Happy Saturday, everyone, or whenever you read this. Oh no, I've dated it. You. Beep that out, Dave. Be- just, just <laughs> remove all of my, just remove all of my this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's just me talking to myself. <laughs> yeah. That's no good. Uh, that that wraps up our second of three tales and the final uh, and no less distressing story: the troubles of Doctor Thos. Yes. And I felt that this title is the most misleading of the lot. Yeah. <laughs> like what is it what does it have to do? I don't know. <laughs> we'll discuss that, I think. Um <laughs> so in this we have a uh this is another commonality. So a, a young gentleman who's unable to sleep and loves to uh do some art. So, a, a, a drawer rather than a painter mm-hmm. um, of a very interesting um, technique that I thought like highly of like I would want to also do this this art um, so our, our our narrator is Alp Indis um, and he resides in a sleepy little um, seaside town an undescript place yes uh, 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 all you need to know is I and and <sighs> yeah so where do we where do we even start with this Dave mm, this is a tough one he um he whiles away his time um, uh, drawing by the window. Half of his drawings are things that he sees outside the window and beyond and just kind of general landscape, um, landscapes and still lives. The other part of his drawings and the one he feels a little bit more true to himself, uh, he takes, he has, he has a library of volumes of, of uh, art tomes. And a lot of it is, um, I'm, I'm feeling they're like black and white illustrations, like old kind of woodblock print or um, it seems like it's, it's a lot of things from like the 1800s 
is what mm-hmm. it feels like he's looking at and uh they're they're um explorer sketches or uh heavy heavy lined black and white um like ink ink drawings he takes elements of those um those things disparate elements um the landscapes some vistas ruins um things that he finds uh enjoyment in and he he puts he makes collages so he'll just redraw the landscape but he's gonna put in he'll plop in a like a monastery or something from another another artist or um, yes uh, another vista starscape this these different things um demonic hordes um from from old uh luminary texts and you know creates something new out of it and he and he calls he calls these arts his collaborations because he's working indirectly with um other you know long artists long past artists yes and he is he is anathema to be able to uh imagine his own art what what happens when he tries to do that or when he has tried in the past to to do so is sort of white noise um in his head yes and it's, he and it's, a, it's, it's a distressing feeling and that he feels um i did uh pull it up and and i have no idea where it's at but he he talks about why uh he kind of can't or is unwilling to um draw things that are from from imagination and i don't know yes he, he 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 does not have an imagination seeming uh uh as soon as as the the uh the collage, the um, collaboration is put on the page. It no longer exists within him in any form. It's even it's it, it's questionable if it existed within him at all, uh, which you know leads to the yeah. weird, uh, bizarre question of how is it possible that someone could uh, create this this fantastical collage without being able to actually visualize it yeah um, here's here's the um here's the passage uh once he nearly had a vision of something a few specks flying across the fuzzy background of white snow in a white sky and there was a garbled voice which he had not intentionally conjured but it all fizzled out after a few seconds into a silent stretch of emptiness this artistic handicap however was anything but a frustration or disappointment to albindis he did not often test the powers of imagination for he somehow knew that there was much to be lost as gained in doing so <laughs> mm. yes and I, this, I feel this is a, like a prescient um statement <laughs> and vision yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh it's yeah. And and then he he talks about his um 
his, his collages. So under his careful eye and steady hand, there took a place a mingling of artistic forms that together were monstrously chimerical, their disparate comp components tumbling out of the years to create nightmarish anatomies. For it seemed perfectly natural to Albindi that, like everyone everything else, the most innocuous phenomena should eventually find their way from good dreams into bad, or from bad dreams into that into those that were wholly abysmal. Uh, but he finds he takes solace in these these things. Yes, and I think some of that ha it has to do with um, like a purging. Like yeah. he's, he's created a thing that needs to exist outside of himself, so it cannot exist like within himself, which is part and parcel of why he refuses to try to um, create things from his imagination because they right. apparently will be uh, not good things to draw like dredge up. Right. To, to, yes, bad, bad to exist within me is 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 seemingly uh, what that previous statement of there is uh, as much to be lost there is as there is to be gained. Yeah, and such. And so in this, he kind of echoes um, uh, Andre, our previous protagonist, in that he, his his preference is for the status quo to not change. Um, to exist in this um, endlessly sleepy seaside town uh, with nothing to um, shake up his his routine. Yes, but at the same time, still understanding that there's a ma like a, a malady within himself. Like he's something is wrong, but he doesn't know what it is. Uh, our our titular um, doctor, um, doctor. Dr. Thos, uh, we, we get a, a somewhat intro um, in the beginning. So he, he, as we mentioned, he's in like a little, I think it's an apartment. Um, and he he has the window cracked open when he works and listens to kind of the, the passings by and ramblings of just the town. So also he's not great with crowds, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But... Uh, he he likes to hear he likes to eavesdrop a little bit. It's just part of what he likes to do. Um The the window windows of his room were partly open, and walking over to it, he discreetly pushed it out a little more. Uh, they should have been close by, those speakers whom Albindis wished would go on speaking. He remembered hearing one voice say, It's going to be the end of someone's troubles, or words to that effect, with the name of Dr. Thos figuring in the discussion. The appellation was unfamiliar to him and gave rise to feelings that had much less to do with hope, which Alpindis tried to keep at a minimum, than it did with nervous expectancy as of some forevision of the unknown. But the talking had stopped, and just as he was becoming interested in this doctor, where were they, these interlocutors? How could they have simply vanished? Um, this is, this isn't the very beginning of the story, but the idea that, uh, he keeps hope to a minimum, um, as a plus is yes. uh, interesting in of itself. Like he, yes. he, he has a want for something and, and an acknowledgement that he knows he could use um, perhaps a doctor who, who cured curious ailments, mm -hmm. uh, but he's not putting too much stock in that because it's probably something that just doesn't exist for him. And rather than, uh, buoying himself up by that, it's just better to uh, kind of ride the wave, as it were, um, and kind of just 
truck along in his in his happy um, medium existence. Right. Yes. Even even it seems to be his existence. no highs, no lows, just a. Yeah, there's um he he hears a little bit more about um this Dr. Thos and it's all in in his mind it's um it's a it's a sort of a, a, it's not really a folktale but this rumor um is a sense of hope it's like a little beacon that he doesn't allow himself to like indulge in but it's just, it's there nevertheless and um he he decides to he goes out for dinner um just on his own to to a little little uh, little tavern and um finds himself uh, a newspaper article yes uh mentioning the the passings of this um Dr. Thos and um he's a it's a figure less in the current um mind of the of the town folk but something that had happened in the past yeah he is he is a a local legend uh newspaper states um was it uh but yes he was he was uh, uh apparently a a super, uh, superb physician uh and a most respected community figure uh that that became uh uh psychically deranged one night by some incident of indefinite character something happened so badly that he um he had to be stopped by the townsfolk uh yep. and these things are still um they're in to legend um because the legend of course has grown and changed with the passing of time the mode of uh ending the doctor's madness is attributed to decapitation drowning in the nearby sea uh, among other ends um all all permanent and sudden um but they were not definite yes and it, it kind of, uh, I pulled up another quote here. Um, no definite misbehavior is attributed to him, except perhaps that of keeping an unpleasant little companion. The creature, according to most who knew this Thossian legend, is said to have possessed the following traits. It was smallish, no bigger than a man's head, shriveled and rotting as if with disease or decomposition, speaking in a rasping voice or in several voices at once, and moved about by means of numerous appendages of special qualities called miracle claws by some. There was good reason, this article went on, to put this abbreviated marvel at the center of this legend, for the creature may have not been a merely may have not been merely a diabolical companion of Dr. Thos, but the mysterious doctor himself. And our our protagonist is left to suss out if this is a cautionary tale um or something more or less yes um um i also just i forgot i forgot i forgot <laughs> that they're just like oh yeah by the way he had this really awful creature too and 
no one really batted an eye at it. Like, <laughs> this clearly diabolic monstrosity that he kept kept as a companion. And everyone was like, yeah, yeah. But he was such a great doctor. Such a fantastic general practitioner. Yes. <laughs> and the, the best part is the, the creature with the Miracle Claws may have, in fact, been the Dr. Thos all along. Um, yes. And in my my estimation of what that's saying is that our, our good Dr. Thos was, in fact, but a puppet. Yes. <laughs> oh, you, you found it, Dave. You found it. There, there was more. There was there was um, uh, uh, sock puppet Santas in the first tale, but I I let those rest until now to reveal my glorious hand, the miracle clawed um, puppet Majesty. Mm-hmm. The very same. See if I, if if I if I say it, it doesn't hurt as much. It's like me ripping off a band aid. Or picking out a scab instead of you doing it. Oh, I'm sorry. Would you like to hear it once more? Puppet Majesty. Uh, bleh. Bleh, I say to that. I will always, till, till from beyond the grave, I will say bleh to Puppet Majesty. Well, it only becomes a problem when Puppet Majesty says bear to you. <laughs> but yes, yes, there could uh, be some uh, dark wizardry going on here. Yeah, that no and one's concerned about. <laughs> no one is concerned. No one. And they, <laughs> the town folk came up with a, uh, I don't know what the, uh, a saying. Uh the, the saying of feeding one's troubles to the sea or the wind and to Dr. Thos. As if this figure were some kind of eater of others' suffering. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're right. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, then begins the, the best part of this tale. Uh, our dear Albindis um, is beginning to hear a strange, distorted, dry-throated voice. One seemingly transmitted by garbled shortwave. One that says, Yes, my name is Thos, and I am a doctor. This is my favorite <laughs> yeah. thing because I just, um, it's very, uh, injured cold mm. to me. I like the idea of this is like, like lovingly abhorrent. Like I don't want to hear it, but I would like to see it realized in some fashion. Right. Um, I like that. I uh, it, there's I, I there's a, a there's a concept in fiction that I've I've always been partial to of um uh the thing does the thing is not aware of you until you're uh, aware of it. Uh, most mm. most notably highlighted in in From Beyond, <laughs> um, because <coughs> excuse me, 
I can only reference Lovecraft. Um, or yes, else I yes. will die. Or else I will actually <laughs> die. Um, Look, uh, all you have to do is exercise your pineal gland and all will be revealed. Yeah. Um, so I really like the the idea of of this newspaper, which incidentally is it's noted that the story is repeated uh reprinted every so often um so i like the idea of oh yeah you read the story hey now i can come and interact with you because you are aware of me and that makes me aware of you it's a great um uh proto cursed video cassette um yes setting and and there's been other, of course, media things that this is kind of drawn from this well of uh, mimetic horror. Yeah. 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 And this this deals also specifically with um, nourishment. Uh, there's another, <laughs> yeah. another quote here. Um, Alb Indies had to credit the non-existent healer um, for some part of his present well-being. How he had eaten and every bit true. It was not much of a day. The town was a tomb, and the sky its vault. But for him, a secret sun was shining somewhere. He could feel it. And there were hours remaining before it had to set. Hours. I think that's my favorite um, bit of quote from almost any of the, the ones we've taken a look at today. Uh, it's, <clears throat> it's evocative in all manner of ways. Um, the town being a tomb and the sky its vault. I just secret son these are good lyrical uh phrasings yes and they're also horrible <laughs> yeah they're because not they're not it's pleasant. not um it's not a pleasant nourishment that he's supping and partaking in mm-hmm. you know we we already see that his uh his his delights and his um predilections are off a little bit yeah um but still seemingly harmless there no, there's nothing that he's doing that is uh dangerous to himself or others um for right. that matter but uh they are also potentially not healthy pursuits even though he says his well-being has been sated right and of course this cues uh, the good doctor to make his appearance uh there's there's even a so he um alb goes about the town he's he's he is disquieted a little bit by the appearance of this uh the 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 doctor's voice and the newspaper article while they do interest him it's not something that he prefers to dwell upon just as he Mm -hmm. does not prefer to dwell upon general um feats of imagination he prefers to craft things um anew from already kind of spun cloth um yes he enjoys the reprieve of the town. He enjoys the reprieve of the local um, church. And he spends uh, some time in there just kind of um, contemplating the, the the landscape and the scenery. And we are treated to another um, wonderful turn of phrase here. Uh, so he followed the moments as they tried to move past him. Each was smothered by stillness and he watched them die. 
But trouble feeds in the wind and hides in the window, he drowsily said to himself from somewhere inside his now dreaming brain. Uh, this is when he's sitting in the church. Um, it is great. It's that um, there's a, a, a tale, uh, the, I think it's the Eater of Time. Or of time, the vampire of time and memory, and not even a tale, it's a song. Um, <laughs> but that is what this sort of feels like. It's, it's, um, the mood is good, um, in this church. <clears throat> Aside from the giant, um, sort of white noise entry of our good doctor, <laughs> because it appeared to him in a dream. At the windowsill, yes. the voices, many voices um, that he cannot discern what they're saying, and he doesn't really want to try. It's better yeah. that he not be there um, and uh, kind of escape this um, broken radio static. And what what uh, another interesting point that the story glosses over, but is mentioned at the very beginning, is that this small seaside town has a um, a local radio station, a radio tower that he cannot um, make the distinct details um, out from his uh, window viewpoint, just right. so he can see the three letters uh, of the radio tower, um, and that this force in this entity is presented um as through the radio waves is um i think a little bit more telling uh, given that small detail that he did take the time to mention the right. uh, local radio station so this sort of um uh virus this viral meme of this doctor is uh, uh we can gather that it's spread not just in the medium of print but um through radio waves right that that perhaps the 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 print and the knowledge of of good old Doctor Thoss's existence uh, creates a, a, acts as a catalyst that allows the radio wave broadcast to affect the minds of those who are aware of him. It mm -hmm. them, yeah. And he um waking from his waking dream he flees the church um because he understood uh, for a moment what the voices were saying <laughs> the multitude of voices said they were a doctor and their name yes. was it leaves off but we understand to that to <laughs> thoughts right uh there's there was another uh slight bit of foreshadowing when he left his room for the um his excursion to go get some some dinner uh, he had left his window open um he normally doesn't do that when he leaves the room but he did in this case uh, and he was working on an uh, uh a collage which he intended to um th this particular one was a uh, in internal view of his room and the window and when he's working on those he doesn't put in the outside world it's just a void um, mm -hmm. the white noise void beyond his room that he just prefers to leave outside or right. the one he doesn't want to acknowledge is inside himself and mm -hmm. that, that window being open when he returns to his room um, is still the case uh, however um, we have a change in the painting he was or the picture he was working on what happened to the picture Leonard uh, let's see 
Uh, let's see. He the drawing had uh, he had. I will just quote it. He looked at the drawing when the drawing he had finished off earlier that day with his meticulous signature. Was it only because he was so tired that he could not recall darkening those window panes and carving that curved scar of moon behind them? Could he have forgotten about scoring that bone white um chitter? Ooh. Cicatrix. Cicatrix into the flesh of night. But he was holding that particular moon. Uh, but he was holding that particular moon in reserve one of his collaborations. This was not one of those. This belonged to that other type of draw. In these, he pinned only what was enclosed within Ol's frame of his room, never anything outside of it. So yes, there is a moon. Because in, in, and insert Bloodborne. But no. <laughs> yes, yes, he he has he has uh, someone or perhaps himself, but most likely someone uh has has altered his 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 uh uh picture of his interior to uh, uh express the exterior, which is is something that he never does. And that's not the only change to the painting. And a change that he uh, did not notice, but to his um, error, I think, <laughs> would have benefited him to notice, is the uh, the seat beneath the window has something in it. That no. he draw there. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Uh, his dozing brain might even have noticed another change in the picture. Uh, for something now squatted in the chair besides the... But he's a tired boy, and he's just yeah. <laughs> immediately going to sleep. Um, yep. However, uh, being a, a wary mind, there's been a lump in his bed uh, for a while. He's He's not a fastidious person. And he, I believe it's, I think he smacks it with his hat and it, it, it satisfactorily like squishes. So it's not anything actually in the covers, just a bundle of covers. <laughs> so he, he takes that as a sign enough that everything is right. Um, the painting was a bit of an error on his part, but he'll just go to sleep and everything will be fine. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, the room was moderately brightened by a blade of moon whose light came through the window. Because, <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it wasn't what, it wasn't, it was a portent of what was to come. A foretelling of a yes. doom. The doom that befell Albindis. <laughs> what great name. Would never want to have to write it out. No. <laughs> <laughs> And our our boy, Dr. Thos, he's made his small yet powerful appearance. Yes. With arms flexing in the room's faint luminance. White night, white noise. As if speaking in static, 
a parched, crackling voice repeatedly croaked these words. I am a doctor. Then the roundish occupant of the chair hopped onto the bed with a single thrust, and its claws began their work, delivering the bedeviled artist to his miraculous remedy. <laughs> Thus ends Albindis, his distress. He is, um, he's liberated and freed, and he can begin uh, crafting things from his imagination and working on his great drawings because the doctor has done his good work. Yes. What a great ending. If it were to have ended that way, it did not. <laughs> it did no. not. No. Hmm. No. It was the landlord who eventually found Albindis, though there was considerable difficulty in identifying what lay on the bed. A rumor spread throughout the seaside town about a swift-acting and terrible disease, something that one of the tourists might have brought in. But no other trouble was reported. Much later, the entire incident was confused by preposterous fabulations which had the effect of relegating it to the doubtful realm of regional legend. <laughs> Hmm. Poor Albindis. Yes, a a a a a self-propagating urban legend. I I I I like I really like this one because there are so many moving parts as to the mechanics of of uh good old uh Dr. Thos. Um and and how he is able to to influence and manifest um um it's it's heavy it's dense um it's yeah, uh, it's very know, dense for like a local lore thing because it's it's subtly changing with the tellings and even with incidences that are ostensibly attributed to the good doctor we do not know um if those are in fact uh the truth right um as abhorrent as they they show up to be they just kind of become part of the uh, wretched tapestry of this uh, this doctor and his many voiced um puppet form i do like yes. that it's both a man and a thing and um no one knows which is the actual doctor right um and also i was just thinking about it uh the the many voices thing uh uh could also be uh, uh the implication of of all of the variations of of the legend of of thos um, mm -hmm. manifest like it's, it's, it's as... just growing and changing with its with its uh, right. with the telling um right. being made maybe more concrete um in one way than the other and was the companion uh, a recent addition to the tale or a more recent one and the doctor and his deeds uh one thing that happened uh and just through the telling became more monstrous and ultimately uh resolving in this form uh, right it's, it's, i think it's, it's interesting to consider yes the, it's the power of belief uh at work which is is one of my favorite um narrative uh, expressions yeah this was um these this the triptych of uh tales uh i like what they were doing 
and that they are a departure from, uh, well, a mild departure from form, um, yes. at least from the previous ones. The change in uh, point of view and um, narrative style is a welcome one. Uh, mm-hmm. The the writing and the prose, um, Ligotti's hand lends itself more readily to this style, I think, than what we were met with before. Like yes. this, is, this is, these are easier to read, um, but yes. not any less like disturbing for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The we the 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 change in perspective does not remove the horror it is it is uh it expresses it simply expresses it in a in a slightly different way yes and the what will wrap up dreams for insomniac are three more tales so we will we will visit those next time in addition to the um i believe it's the the first major um, chapter of um conspiracy against the human race the next three tales are shorter about 30 pages rather than the 50 that this was yes Um, will be a masquerade of a dead sword a tragedy (laughs) Uh, dr voke and mr veach these are all evocative i don't i I have not read these yet so um they just the the sound of that is um enticing and then we will wrap up this segment um next time with professor nobody's little lectures on supernatural horror uh (laughs) so all of those um uh hopefully and i don't believe this will be the case will but will not betray our expectations um so we can look forward to three more tales and the first real jump into um conspiracy against the human race uh which will pop up in technically two episodes because there will be another one uh with cameron back aboard before we get to the the verse once more yes yes there will be that. <laughs> potentially more witchery. Yes. More there's rod. there's some witchery afoot and swords of silver and steel. <laughs> yes. So more double swords for for Dave, our our sword master. That is correct. So feel free to toss a coin to your witcher. <laughs> What a jaunty tune. Uh, that wraps us up, uh, wraps up this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, there's more Legati to be had. There's always more Legati. Uh, and we sure did enjoy making it. We enjoy making all of the episodes for you. Yes, these are... <laughs> every, uh, si- <laughs> every single time I say, I say so, I can be really positive and say something, it's like the most sarcastic thing on the planet. I'm really glad that you were here listening to us. Really appreciate you. I'm just like, that sounds false. <laughs> but just, no, we do. Stop backhanding everybody, Leonard. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you've come this far, you will understand our um, sense of humor, I believe. Yes. I would hope. <laughs> yes. Is, yes. <laughs> please, my, my, please know my, that we love you all. 
We um, do. Uh, but yes, excuse my desiccant sense of humor. The driest, most arid of, of humors. It does happen. <laughs> These things happen, Leonard. These things happen. Yes, this will be us uh, bidding you adieu, as the case may be. Um, however, yes. our last little bit of uh, things to attend to. Leonard, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Oh dear, people can find me on uh, a little website uh, called Twitter. You might have heard of it. Uh, you can find me under at Dr. Faust is dead. I do, I use Twitter. I, I, I'm, there's no branding really to be had on there. But if you want to be entertained by things that I do and say, you should go to YouTube and search for Dr. Faust is Dead, where I make videos about video games mostly, ranging from uh, silly little uh, uh, short videos to half-hour-long uh, video essays. I quite enjoy doing it and would appreciate it if you all take a look if you wish. Dave, where can people find you on the internet? Also on Twitter at sentinot underscore plus, and likewise our our third and no less capable co-host Cameron. Also on Twitter at night underscore twitten, and that's night without a K. Even though he is quite the nightly fellow, he is. <laughs> he is the Lord of Likes. But that's um, us. <laughs> the the um the uh, you know words happen. Uh, our the official Twitter of the podcast is mon underscore d monster. Um, you can reach us at any of those places, and the website itself with all of the uh, well, there's a little bit of a blog there. We should probably get back to maintaining. Um, but all the back uh, uh backed up episodes, back back backlog. I don't know what they're called. The previous back, episodes? Our, 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 our back catalog. Back catalog, that's what it is. The back catalog um, of fun things, of other monsters. Uh, they are to be found at monsterdeer.monster. I'm partial to that uh, that address, so it's good. <laughs> um, yes, so we will we will let you go for the weekend, and we will visit you next time. Bye-bye. Yes. Bye.